what conditions are stipulations. Magic tricks or manipulations interjecting conversation. I don't want to talk about it. We're gonna Especially when it's a powerful, weird person, yeah. like society is pretty comfortable with them falling from grace and Phil Spector. He yeah. seems like an autism spectrum type to me. He's a bipolar manic depressive. That too, but yeah. like even the, there, like- I, the, I talked about it with Marcus. Yeah, yo, no, there's definitely a eccentric uh, millionaire kind of shit going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, obviously it ranges and it doesn't mean that everybody who seems this way is, but the way that he perceives music and the way mm-hmm. that he seemed to engage in human interaction was different in a way that seemed consistent with that. Yeah. And so you get a he weird dude. thought differently than, than yeah. anyone else. But I, I do think that also he had the eccentricity without yes. the charisma. So there are mm-hmm. like, like, you know, even like Ted Bundy had like a way of getting people on his side yeah. and like convincing <laughs> yeah. people that he was innocent just because he like has such a big presence. Very like likable to some people, which like whatever. Yeah. I but Charles Manson, you know, you look at like, yeah. there are a lot of psychopaths who do horrible things, but they're kind of likable. And the deception element was different with the likes of Manson and Bundy, too, that there was like, I know that I will be perceived this way by this audience, so I act this way. It's for a fucked up purpose, but they know what they're doing, whereas with know what they're doing, whereas with Phil Spector, it just seemed like he didn't know what people were perceiving and he thought that this was going to be well received and it wasn't. I don't know. Um, This is exceedingly persuasive and. I'm Mackenzie Brennan, and uh, you just entered our conversation about Phil Spector. <laughs> Welcome. We were mid-thought. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I'm Brooke Rogers, and uh, joining us today is the wonderful Carolina Hidalgo from No Dogs in Space podcast and Friendship. Real oh, life yeah. friendship. Oh, oh yeah. real life friendship. Yeah. <laughs> but she's going to be our resident Phil Spector expert today. Oh, yes. thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's a title that I've always wanted was Phil know, Spector right? expert. <laughs> we all aim for put it that. Up, put it in your epitaph. That's great. <laughs> um, so we today we're talking about the Phil Spector trial. And it made sense mm-hmm. to have Carolina on, obviously, because she is um, much more knowledgeable about uh, the music industry, especially during this time period. And we wanted to have someone on who could really speak to what was going on in music at the time. And and, and then later we're going to get on into the actual, uh, the uh, murder trial portion, which I'm so yeah. excited for. <laughs> well, I mean, we're kind of going to talk about who he was as a person. I think that why the three of us wanted to do this is that first of all, this is a time when we're grappling so much as a society. And it seems like person by person, person with what to do with really influential, really talented artists, oftentimes from other eras who we gradually realize were just shit people. Um, and, and dealing with that on a spectrum too. Uh, we see it in politics, we see it in the arts a lot. So uh, as I was saying before we started recording, I, I was like, well, if you look before the 1990s or so, everyone in the industry was kind of shitty. 
but it's it's always a bit of a fixture um absolutely yeah it's, so grappling with that I mean we just and, did an episode on the Kesha trial yes um and talked all about how the music industry today is still extremely yeah. exploitative and gross especially toward women and People that's been with- a staple of the industry for you know since it began um, yeah, and uh, like yeah. John Lennon, uh, obviously, is somebody whose name comes up a lot. I hate to say this out loud, but David Bowie. Not, we all and- know it. Like, yeah. There's yeah. a lot. Mick Jagger. The, ev- yeah. Pretty much every rock star, except for um, John Fogarty. And Weird Al Yankovic, which yes. is amazing. Okay, but he's modern, so that, that John you know. Denver. He's a, yeah. he's a John Denver classic. just died before he- <laughs> yeah he yeah if go. you're if you're going oh, yeah. to be a terrible person you should die before the reckoning before you get bad plan that yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that's the way you got a short window before you get evil but to make your mark you either so, die a hero or live to see yourself become so true phil a batman villain <laughs> which was i feel phil specter in a, in a lot of ways it. was the penguin <laughs> and like stop laughing at me stop laughing at me and then yeah. he thinks about his childhood and then it just it, it's a weird fable i feel and then he comes to trial dressed as a literal batman villain yeah uh, like yeah. his own trial so uh, that's that's a bizarre piece, and that's part of why we thought this was an apt conversation now. And then also, uh, he died recently. So I guess this is a saga that will never be definitively solved now, which is, he is a problematic fave of mine. I acknowledge that. I have a lot of them, unfortunately, in that era of music. Um, oh, we all was, have a, we all have a list. Of yeah, none yeah. of us are free of sitting. Oh, in that Pete area. Townsend. Brooke and I have mentioned my love of Pete Townsend before, and that's a but the thing is, it's like, it's no one is safe because I, I feel like every year more stories come out where it's like the, the, what, so now I just think I'm just like yeah. all, all artists are, so what do we do with that? They're all sus right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like, obviously on one end of the spectrum, you have Woody Allen and Harvey Weinstein, who it's like, they're just, just bad dudes. They did a lot of really terrible things. Um, and so you jettison the Woody Allen movies, I think, oftentimes because the the fare of the movies seems to sync up with his crimes. So that's easy to be like, I don't yeah. have time for this. If you're gonna be a creep, maybe don't make movies about it, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so that's an easy one. But then you get more towards, um, for me, Pete Townsend, who it's like, oh, he was such a formative person and it was recent and maybe he was doing research because a friend of his just killed herself and she had gone through sexual abuse as a child. So maybe he wasn't actually looking at child porn for him. Like he said, Ken's, um, I gotta say, I read it's a real his roundabout, roundabout way of uh, <laughs> defending him there. I think you gotta let that one go. But I don't I think can't. you're gonna convince I know. anybody it's that. not great. So then uh, there's that. Just to um to give you an idea of of who Phil Spector was, and actually his full name is Harvey Phillips Spector, so Oof. who knows? Maybe it's just a cursed name. I don't know. Don't name your kid <laughs> Harvey. Um, he was born on December 26, 1939. He, he was from a first-generation immigrant Jewish family in the Bronx. Um, he had a pretty rough early childhood. His father uh, committed suicide when he was very young. Um, and his, on his tomb, uh, on his, um, gravestone was actually, uh, one of the title of one of Phil Spector's very early hits, which is to know him is to love him. Uh, and that's what that song was about. was written about his, his father. Um, Who he performed worked, that one. The teddy bears. 
Yeah, was that was first. his band. Oh, his band, his musical group that he uh, produced and wrote songs with. Like so, his, his own friend, his friends from school. Yeah, he was a teenager when that when Cute. when he started like you know recording records and and just working within the industry and then eventually you know forming his own um, mm-hmm. the Phillies, his own record company. Like, and he was like eighteen at the time. He was like the youngest kid. He was already a millionaire. It was crazy. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Caroline, can you tell us, can you tell us more about that early time? Because I know, I think that he, by like 21, he had a mansion and had yes. a, a ton of money That's and can you tell us like who too. he was working with and what, what made him so influential so early on? No, you're right. He was actually, he was 21, uh, when he, uh, when he started Phillies, uh, which, you know, which is like his own record company that he co-founded. And uh, that lasted about six, seven years. So like 1961 to 1966, he was best biggest record producer in the world like he made the hits now we still like hear the music that is pretty much inspired from what the music that he made back then like in the 60s like because he wrote songs and produced for like like musical acts like the crystals mm-hmm. you know um uh tina so did you run run yes exactly like uh and and, and then he kissed me yes uh, exactly tina turner and ike turner the righteous brothers you know you lost that loving feeling that was him that was him doing that. And, and he was also very famous for with his, his recording was with uh, a thing called the wall of sound technique, which is what he used his uh, group of uh, musicians called the wrecking crew, which mm-hmm. is like like a dozen or more musicians. Uh, he would fill them all up in a recording studio and he would have them all record to have a wall of sound. So not like n- no like bare musical instruments like it would be uh, like a like like an orchestra pretty much. Mm-hmm. And he would be the conductor in the middle of that because he wanted all the sounds like to be epic, to be like, like Wagner, you know, like to be yeah. huge, to be big. Another Everything tainted has- name. <laughs> exactly. Like go big, <laughs> go, you know, go big and, and all the time, all uh, just dial it up to 11 kind of stuff. And that's what Phil Spector always wanted to take it up to the next level constantly. And of course, and later worked. on. Yeah. Oh yeah. It worked really I well. Mean, he produced a ton of hits. It- and often was this ghost presence behind, right? Like he would get together a lot of these, oftentimes like women of color groups. So that was one of the, you know, redeeming qualities of his artistic presence too, was like, oh, he would lift up black voices, oftentimes black female voices and make them really well produced and put them out on the scene and they would end up doing very well. I mean, Tina Turner, I think it was the album that he produced was kind of when she first started having no need for Ike Turner, who, again, this is getting a little afield, but he was a very abusive, more pop, basic mainstream presence. And Phil Spector was kind of the one who demonstrated that he was not needed. And Tina Turner went on to do her thing. So, yeah, mm, yeah. that's right. I mean, he only cared about the singer most of the time Mm -hmm. because he knew he could do everything else. He just couldn't sing. And so he always (laughs) needed to find someone to sing, like, for example, like like Tina Turner Mm -hmm. or like uh, the Ronettes, like his his second wife uh, being the lead singer that Veronica. And um, and then, of course, Joey Ramone, when he did the Ramones album, Mm -hmm. End of the Century in 1980, where um, he pretty much just singled out Joey Ramone and be like, I can make you the next biggest star. And even on the the biggest songs that they had, because that album was huge, but it didn't. It didn't really hit the mainstream as big as it should have, but uh, that that album was so big 
uh, but he actually didn't even use the Ramones to like do the musical uh, part of it. I mean, he hired really his own wrecking crew. Exactly. Like Johnny Ramone played a little bit on that. But uh, in the end, he just wanted Joey Ramone. So he's mm-hmm. so this is a thing Phil Spector is. He's like, I can create the wall of sound. I just need a singer because I can't do that. And, he and was you're seeing the social maker. element. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm kind of seeing speculating a little bit about whether he was potentially on the autism spectrum somewhere because of some of his social traits, but you do see maybe less, at least less priority for the the social and human interaction pieces with Tina and Ike Turner. It ended up being a good thing because he was a toxic person, but groups like the Ramones potential, and I'm totally speculating, but if you're saying like, I just need you, everybody else, uh, see ya, that could be a bit of a tension maker and other mm-hmm. producers may have an eye to those sort of dynamics or or at least make a more informed decision like okay this is going to create some fallout you ready for that mm-hmm. um oh yeah at. he, he was like that kind of guy like just yeah. trust me and then i'll do it yeah that kind of thing and he Which, made the good music work. yeah it worked yeah. most yeah. of the time not all the time i mean the beatles were like you know yes actually most people Gary are like Nielsen too right like big middle finger to his face like <laughs> you know like yeah. you want to say anything nice about phil specter like no nah, why are you asking what he did you know yeah. all that business oh that and- sucks because he produced a lot of beatles stuff didn't he and uh, john he- lennon Oh, he well, he put together when the Beatles were uh, breaking up around 1969, he uh, put together the uh, the last Beatles album, Let It Be, Mm. that they they already recorded it. So he he put it and he added his wall of sound. And then 30 years later, Paul McCartney is like, oh, by the way, we're going to re-release it without the Phil Spector. Oh, the naked version yeah exactly uh but but going back to what you're saying about him possibly being on the autism spectrum uh i and i know i mentioned this uh he uh with you before is that he uh was definitely bipolar uh manic depressive bipolar and he would take a lot of his medication he he'd go to therapy but that really didn't do anything Mm -hmm. also a lot of it had to do is like you talked about like his father uh, who committed suicide when he was eight years old, which is like mm-hmm. one of those things where it was like formative, kind of like an embarrassment so bad that they moved from New York, from the Bronx to California to kind of get away from that when he was growing up. And also the fact that he had a very o- overbearing mother and a very anxious and shrill sister that were always on top of him and kind of said like, nothing you're doing is wrong, but they would yell at him at the same time. Like they treated mm. him like a God. And they like they they let him That's get away with yeah they raised him letting him get get away with everything mm. and anything, uh, but they would Those also kids. scream at him and just it, it, you know expect like so much attention from them like yeah. he was just going he never had a healthy relationship with a woman ever or anyone since, potentially they won yeah. oh yeah with like really if, with a man you know, yeah it was never healthy. But it's like, it's not a good uh, foundation and it definitely uh, signals toward his later problems with women because he really had, he had met, you referenced his second um, marriage to one of the Ronettes um, and throughout his career and throughout his life, he had a very fraught relationship with women. Um, but one sure. thing, one thing you were saying is that, uh, his father's suicide was hard on him for many reasons, part of it being the stigma. And we have to remember that this was in, like, uh, 1949. So yeah. this was, uh, you think about how stigmatized suicide is today. And back then it was not spoken of, especially Plus in masculinity. Exactly. Like, like you add that and immigrant. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It, it was definitely something that he was never comfortable with. Like he would lie about it. That's also another thing. Um, he was always a big liar. And he was mm -hmm. one of those kinds of liars where he he could be found out easily, but he hmm. would go with it anyways. Like telling his high school girlfriend, uh, uh, this woman named Donna saying, oh, I worked with Richie Valens. And you know that song, Oh, Donna, I wrote that about you. And then, you know, later it comes to light that Richie Valens had a girlfriend named Donna and had nothing to do with the Donna that he knew. But he he just he would make up things constantly just on the fly, just not even caring if he would get caught at all. Kind of a, a megalomaniac liar, yeah. just always like, you know, staying ahead of the story and all that. Um, and even socially immature, I think, mm -hmm. was something like that, because oh, yeah. it, it is distinguished from the likes of, say, Ted Bundy being another you know, the one that we started out with as murder trial comparisons, but that he's not smooth. He's not a tactician when no. he lies. He's just kind of like doing whatever comes to his head socially because of some sort of like self-loathing. Like a Lord Fultonroy. Yeah. Kind yeah. of character. Yeah. That's his yeah. archetype. You know, he, he's, he's a, he's a small guy he's, with his own. He, mm -hmm. he's not, he doesn't have conventional good looks, but he doesn't have the charisma. <laughs> like you guys said, that carry that over. He, yeah. he's not, he's not like, oh, okay. He's not like a great looking guy, but he's not like funny or, you know, clever yeah. about it. He just happens to be really, really smart and that's it. But, yep. but not enough for, to hang around long enough for, Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, and it, it did feel when, when I was watching interviews with him, um, and this was mostly interviews post uh, post 2003 during the trial. During um, so before the conviction, right? Before the conviction. Yeah, when he he was constantly trying to explain himself and he would talk about um, even when we talked about the trial and things like that, he would talk about how, you know, people, people are envious. People don't like me. People, you know, I, they, they look at me and they see someone who, who, uh, made a lot of money. And, um, but he, he was very aware of the fact that he was so unlikable. Like he seemed very <laughs> self-aware of that, but it was like, he didn't know how to fix it. And he'd sort of yeah. given up on it. And he is one of those people where it's like, oh, listen, you know, he's not a looker. But he also has a terrible personality. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh yeah, you know he's not conventionally attractive, uh -huh. but he's a great guy. No, it was just like, yeah, Whereas I would date him. I'd be like, ooh, an asshole who's smart and has no looks. <laughs> Sounds yes. like my type. Sign you know, me it, up. <laughs> it, it is this like, it's really funny because he, the only thing he really had going for him was his incredible talent. Yeah, and he he very much capitalized on that and he really was the blueprint for modern celebrity producers. You know, you think of Calvin Harris, you think of Dr. Mm. Luke uh, to reference mm. the cash trial again, you think of like Avicii yeah. and uh, those other like big name producers who actually, who again, they, they pull in these amazing singers like Rihanna, yeah. like Katy Perry, like others, but they, they completely do the, the, um, all the background music, all the instruments themselves. That's a good point. Cause you often, yeah. sometimes you see them featured on the song. You're like, wait, who is? Yeah, exactly. You know, sort of, yeah. But, but we have more of a knowledge of like, now I think celebrity producers are such a common thing. Whereas mm -hmm. back then he was, he was pretty much the only one who was that well-known, who had that impact and that I'd influence. i Brian Wilson potentially on similar close, footing, sure. but he also obviously had the performance end, so you can credit that. Mm -hmm. And I did hear one interview with Phil Spector where he was like shitting on Brian Wilson because he was like, oh, all their innovation is in the studio. And I was sitting there thinking like, but isn't 
yours? Yeah. Well, I know if they're, (laughs) you know, whatever. Yeah. They work together um, in the same. Oh yeah. And they work together, but like in terms of wall of sound, because one of the the things that he innovated as a, a different thing to record was that like he would get multiple people to play the same instrument, playing the same tune and just like mix them together. So there was, uh, it, it's hard to put your finger on it, so to speak, when you're listening, but that there's a bigger sound to the same instrument playing. Mm-hmm. And, but I think it's something like that. And I'm like, that's, that's in the studio. That's, yeah. You yeah. do that in yeah. the mixing. So, yeah. So he, he's aware, know, but man. also not aware at the same time, which and is just like, which is the enigma fights. that he is. Right. Like yeah. he's just jealous or feels oh, competitive. Very insecure, full riddled with insecurities and also incredibly paranoid. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. was, that was a big thing when I, when we, you know, I started looking into the, to the murder and everything like that. I'm going to call it a murder or, or, or at, well, yeah, was convicted. convicted. We can convicted. call it a murder. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's not like, to do you don't even have to say alleged (laughs) but I mean I feel like that was the one thing that was like what I thought the whole time was like he was paranoid so when when paranoid people especially paranoid people who are out like who drink so much like he did uh, can usually escalate something from zero to 60 in seconds yeah which and do all the wrong things be like uh, like you're watching this happen like it's a car accident you're like oh my god don't go on mm-hmm. all these platforms because Brooke I think it was instructive that you said a lot of these interviews were in 2003 so it's like when, post 2003 yeah after, after yeah the- then the conviction being later so the court of public opinion is paying attention right now and whether it was ultimately his choice or his lawyers not like physically barring the door which you almost mm-hmm. think they should have at that point yeah. it's like, dude you're not helping yourself you are making it worse you are not making people like you yeah, and to go what back is happening. To go back to what Carolina was saying about him being paranoid, he was extremely reclusive, very isolated. He lived in this, he called it his castle, um, <laughs> but he lived in this huge house and he lived by himself. He had he kind of like I mean, which makes a lot of sense because it seems like he did push away a lot of his uh yeah. I don't even really know if you can call them friends, but uh, working partners, romantic partners, anyone who had in his life, it seems like he was very difficult to work with both personally and professionally. And to be around, he had a very difficult personality. And it does seem like intentionally or not, he did isolate himself fully to the point where the only people who would really be around him were people who kind of wanted access to his influence Mm -hmm. and his fame. Yeah. He was very much like, uh, just to like piggyback off that, uh, from what I read about him and what I've seen is just the fact that he was that kind of guy that where he'd have people over because, hey, he's an, he's an interesting guy. He's got mm-hmm. a lot of stories like this I can, can pay fun. people to hang out with me, essentially. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like they're intrigued. Uh, yeah. Let's have a drink. And then hours will go by. And since he was like this, like he was an insomniac, he would stay up all night. Uh, mm-hmm. People would be like, hey, I'm tired. It's time to go home. And he and he'd be like, no. And he would lock mm-hmm. people in. So he had that weird kind of like spoiled brat, eight-year-old mentality. It was like, no one's leaving my birthday party until I open mm-hmm. all my presents. He was that guy. He he wanted, he always wanted control. He always wanted power over people. And yeah. it, it it's didn't such feel a like toxic combo. In. Exactly. Because yeah. it seems like when you're saying that trait, like, yes, I think young, um, young-minded, like emotionally immature never been told no type person, which also is like, okay, he was a celebrity and he had everything at a very young age. So nothing ever really 
made him see anything different. And then in my own head, thinking that there are some signs that he might have been spectrum ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should add that I say this as somebody who's diagnosed as on the spectrum. I'm, you know, I'm on the functional end. And I don't know, because I don't want to seem like I'm co opting and making it as if it's easier for other yeah. people. It doesn't make a murder. Speak to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that that type of thing of like, not thinking about social consequences or realizing them in the same way and prioritizing your own sensory desire in that moment, that there's an intensity of like, no, but I don't want you to leave and I don't want to go to sleep. So don't, no. Yeah, just demanding. And not realizing it's so abusive to do that, especially with the power. I think also not recognizing people's boundaries or not thinking about like a way that I could pursue a longer friendship with this person yeah. would be to let them go home and see them a different time. You know, it's like at that weird like, disconnect what are they of feeling like, versus yeah. what am I needing in this moment yeah. and where you rank those and, you know. And to be fair, yeah. that could be, that could be that he was on the spectrum. It could be that, you know, his other um, mental health struggles. I also know that, um, thank you for bringing up that he was manic depressive and bipolar, Carolina, yeah. because um, even if you are on medication, even if you are, um, you know, dealing with that, uh, professionally, um, drinking does have a huge effect on mental health, uh, for everyone, but especially people who have, um, who struggle with, you know, manic depressive disorders or something like bipolar disorder. Um, and that's not recommended to drink. Yeah. Mark, Mark, my husband, Marcus, he, he, he barely drinks because of that, because Mm -hmm. he wants to, I mean, he, he, he's not, he's not a Phil Spectre, but uh, a lot of bipolar people, exactly. A lot of them are very great people who try hard to work on, uh, what, what they're going through. And that's it. Because you really have to have some emotional maturity about it and acknowledgement of, because even when you said like he was in therapy, I was thinking about so many people I've encountered who are in therapy and sometimes myself included that it's like, that's great. But until or unless you hear what somebody is saying and you work on it every second of every day Mm -hmm. and you have to have willingness and you also have to have a model to do that. Like there's so many things that if you are famous as a teenager and you had a weird family modeling structure, um, I don't know, you could be getting therapy every day, but I don't know if it's ever going to land that yeah. you should conduct yourself in a behavioral therapeutic way. Like yeah. Exactly. Or, or maybe don't buy 15 guns. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There are lots of choices you can make. Yeah, there's a better. lot of choices. Exactly. Yeah, that, I think that, that might lead yeah. you to a bad place. I think that he really did. Um, th- there were so many, and there's, there's a pattern of behavior leading up to the 2003 murder of Lana Clarkson um, that really set him up for the situation to take place because you're right, he owned... Um, a lot of guns. He carried them a lot. He would wave them around in people's faces. There was a story of him um, at one point actually uh, firing a, a, a bullet into the ceiling of a studio because he was fighting with John Lennon. Oh, and yeah. He threatened John, people with his guns. John Lennon. He was also said, volatile himself. So, like, yeah. Jesus oh, yeah. No, John <laughs> Lennon was also, uh, he, w- he was an alcoholic and a, and, and a wife beater. Like, he, he was not a great person. Uh, but uh, that, that, that whole situation with him firing a gun uh, while recording with John Lennon, the, the funny, the one funny lore that <laughs> might be true or not was John Lennon yelling at Phil Spector right afterwards and be like, if you want to shoot me, just shoot me, but don't shoot right next to my ears. Cause I need them. You know, like, I mean, these are all artists, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're I believe that on the seat of their pants. 
<laughs> no, I can I can absolutely see John Lennon saying something like that. I think I think his girlfriend at the time was the one who told that story later and said that he said, uh, like, don't shoot near my ears. I need those. But it is just like, I think that it also speaks to the fact that like people just kind of expected this behavior yeah. from Spector at a certain point. Like and uh, one of his, um, uh, his ex-wife, do you know the, the ex-wife's name who was in the Ronettes? Ronnie Spector. Ronnie Spector. So um, Ronnie Spector uh, was the one I believe who also said that she wasn't surprised when she heard about the uh, murder charge, because um, if you wave guns around as often as he did, like something's bound to happen. Yeah, Um, but even that is like, it's an accidental angle that she's expecting in saying that then. And Johnny Ramone even said, uh, when he heard about it, he said, I'm surprised that he didn't shoot someone every year. So So it was like people (laughs) knew and that also speaks to the fact that like no one was calling him out on his bullshit like he was allowed to do whatever he wanted because he was extremely talented because he was a star maker um we didn't do that then yeah absolutely it was like called John Lennon out either yeah you know Phil Spector he's like a weird guy but like he you know he's good at what he does and yeah he like he has all these eccentricities but like who doesn't it's the 60s it's the 70s like they let him get away with so much and it i think that like because no one would rein him in he just assumed that like that behavior was okay and kept kept harassing people you know um threatening people with guns and it was like this it was just like built up on itself to where he really never no one was ever checking him at all so because he also didn't have the charisma to sell it in the way that john lennon did because Mm -hmm. that i mean who is John Lennon in our public opinion now on the large part, there's a whole generation of kids named Lennon mm-hmm. and there's like the Imagine Peace Circle. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but he wrote a song that was woman is the N-word of the world. Yeah. Um, but the thing is he could spin it at the time and Phil Spector couldn't. So it was very easy, I think, for those things to come out immediately at the time yeah. as a like, yeah, see this guy look how the mighty have fallen. Um, right. He was you, always super weird. You know, my theory on that is because uh, Phil Spector was obsessed with Lenny Bruce. He he was he, he was he was in love with Lenny Bruce. So he loved irreverent humor. He even said, like, when people asked him, like, why do you wave your guns in the air? Why, why do you do this? He would say himself, he's like, you know, the problem. None of those people have the same sense of humor as I do. So he he likes to like delve. Neither does Lenny Bruce, my man. Like, <laughs> yeah, because I love dark comedy, but I'm I, like, that's. It's not a joke to just, where's the punchline? It's just like, whoa, look at me. <laughs> like, that's the punchline is you end up shooting someone in the face. That's the, he and it's not own, funny. His conviction yeah. is his punchline. Exactly. That's, a, that's quite, it's, you know, it's a tragedy. It's a Greek tragedy. Uh, for <laughs> yeah, if he was wrongfully convicted based on some dark humor shtick, wouldn't that be the funniest thing? It, it would it, certainly be ironic. I feel like yeah. it might have happened. I don't know. Like it, that's the that's the thing about Phil Spector. I think he lived his life like like how he made his music. It's like I wanted to make it grand. I want to yeah. make it epic. I want I want to live my life like it's a movie, like a yeah. biopic, like like you know Hollywood Boulevard. Like I'm ready for my close up kind of thing. Like that's yeah. him. Actually, that's fitting with the movie too. It's like this yeah. weird, creepy old castle, and you're like, yeah. all right, I'm still relevant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And all dressed in his like wigs and, and his capes and his outlandish outfits and everything. And that. then drinking Manischewitz wine. That's all he would drink all the time in a goblet what? of jewels. That's constantly. not even good. No, no. But he, that was like what he wanted to drink for some reason. And he constantly just drinking it 
maybe it's an immigrant thing like that now I can own this piece of my identity that it's really so you know we're talking about this like when you describe him like that I can totally see why like if I was a young woman in the 70s 80s and even up into the early 2000s where he was starting to kind of lose his relevance if mm-hmm. you were like hey do you want to go hang out at this guy's castle he's really oh, yeah. weird like he wears these insane wigs he wears but he these recorded crazy for outfits. all these people he's like, like yeah he had yeah. all of these stories he's kind of eccentric but like he's you know he's like this this he's got this insane life story i would absolutely say yes like i would absolutely want to go see what that's about do i, I want to hang out at phil Spector's? yes i do yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, totally but bring a friend he... maybe yes you yeah know? Bring, bring a buddy a, you gotta yeah, yeah. a big a buddy big friend <laughs> um and i think um, that so so the and that kind of gets us to where um perfect, his draw yeah. like the way that he brought people in and um it, it seems like a lot of his relationships were were pretty short um or like very shallow and or power balance yeah or with or ronnie power. specter absolutely. absolutely yeah um and but he the the actual incident um was in 2003 in february of 2003 um they he went to he actually met up with a, a different friend earlier that night um and he had been, he went to through a couple, a few different places. And it was kind of what Carolina was talking about where like he met at one bar, he met one friend at one bar and they were drinking together. And she said, I need to go home. And he, so he said, okay, well then I'm going to go meet somebody else. So he met up with another friend at a different bar and they were like kind of bar hopping around. And then finally at, um, I think it was somewhere around two in the morning, right before closing. It's like one thirty-two. So they again, with the up. insomnia, Carolina, yeah. and not to quote how I met your mother, because I don't like it that much, but nothing <laughs> good ever happens after two in the morning. That's that actually is very true. Go home. My, go home. my dad used to say nothing good happens after 10 p.m., but I think it was... <laughs> We should do a moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's the I have teenagers and I, I need sure. to get them home at a decent hour version. But it is, yep. yeah, it's like they're, it's getting like later stop. in the night. He's been drinking for hours at this point. Oh, God. They get to the House of Blues and um, they go up. They try, they're trying to get into the foundation room or the VIP room, uh, which is where all of the big wigs in the music industry hung out at the time. And, and this little, the, little guy with the crazy hair is like stamping his feet like, I should be in there. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, like, he, do you know who I am? Literally saying that. <laughs> he wanders up the He should be the in door. there, but Jesus. <laughs> And there was a uh, a woman working there, Lana Clarkson. She was a 40-year-old actress who had landed some kind of big parts, but had never, but what people said about her is like, she never had her big break. So she actually mm-hmm. like had been in some movies and well-known shows and things like that, but small parts. And she was kind of at the point, unfortunately, because Hollywood is sexist. And yeah. So based, so based on youth and things 40. like that. She probably wasn't going to like, break into the uh, movie industry at this point. So she was working as a door woman for the House of Blues Foundation room. And, you know, diminutive little Phil Spector walks up with his lady friend and tries to get into the room. And Lana Clarkson says, like, you don't have a badge. I can't let you in. And uh, like Carolina was alluding to, he was like, (laughs) do you know who I am? I worked (laughs) with the Beatles. I created modern pop music. Like, he's freaking out. Maybe he has some bodyguards being like, no, he really does have this clout. Like, Right. Like, I'm sure his friend was like, please just, please just let him in. I don't want to see him go off like this. Um, (laughs) but this was the first time they met was this night yeah it was yes it was the the first night they met 
And another woman walks up and kind of whispers in Lana's ear and is like, that's Phil Spector. He's a big deal. You need to let him in. So they- and she's like, oh, what did you tell me? You know, like grab go some to the menus. Castle. Oh, yeah, the guy exactly. who looks like a monster is, he's okay. I got a lot of men. Can you say monster or monster? Because monster. I will take either. Okay. He, he looks a little bit like um, Christopher Lloyd's- um, the uncle oh, uncle fester uncle oh from, fester. from the adams family yeah, 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 family. yeah i'm sorry I yeah i mixed that. up wow i can't well, believe i of all people mix those two the up thing but is, yes <laughs> it could be an uncast relative of either show like it could be somebody who comes in and it's like yeah, yeah, oh, I yeah. Buy that that's as cousin lineage. phil you know yeah, yeah cousin yeah. phil he's, he's a little ghoulish looking yeah. he's a little odd he <laughs> mm-hmm. has you know these insane outfits. he has carousel pieces in his like dark castle and it's all very like, strange there's and, always and, lightning like clashing in the background yep. whenever Actually, like a rocky horror thing he would totally fit in real nicely with the adams family if he didn't actually murder a woman uh because it that kind of thing with raul julia like you know gomez adams be like oh look at the lady killer he's like acquitted you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because he, is they it, have charm, and Phil Spector always ooh. wanted that charm. That yeah. He, yeah, so maybe he not have. fitting in yeah, the no, lineage. He would have so, yeah, almost. The, he was so the close. crime would fit, but then he would have had to actually have gotten off. He was B team, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, and at this point, because we are throwing murder around, I think it's legally fine because obviously he was convicted. But I do want to throw out there that. I'm definitely not certain about the outcome of the trial. I don't think that, you know, from the the lawyerly perspective, getting into the law piece, I do think that the trial had some issues in what evidence came in and what was excluded, that if we're looking at a criminal conviction of the highest degree, which is life in prison ended up being for him, um, there is certainly in my mind a reasonable doubt and there was even more stuff that could have created reasonable doubt that was excluded. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, there was a very real possibility, maybe a lesser possibility, but some of the evidence that was kept out did suggest this, that it was a suicide. Um, maybe even though we're calling it a murder and that's probably fine, maybe he didn't kill this woman. And in my mind, there's at least an open possibility. Yeah. And I'm on the other side of the the, the podium. You know, I'm sure Cher from Clueless being like, no, oh, I think he did do it. So this is going to be do? a really fun debate. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really I, do. I, I, I don't know. Some I of the lean, things that I've I been lean, reading about. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think. It'll I don't be know. Fun. I'm no, not absolutely. a judge. I, no, that, that, that's what this is. This, that's why we're having <laughs> yeah. this episode. I am now a judge. And I, we'll get to, let's poll at the end and see who thinks he did it and who thinks there's a reasonable doubt. We'll have two separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so they're sitting at this table in the House of Blues and his friend orders a glass of water. And reportedly he kind of got upset with her for doing that because I think he could kind of tell that like it was getting towards the yeah, end of the night with her. When somebody orders water, they're going to go home soon. Drunk probably. people are like, come on, have a drink with me. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I've br- like, probably- Like, what are you going to wind it down? Exactly. Yeah. It was like they, when I was hanging out with you guys one day, I think one of us is like, come on, have a drink. So we, yeah, we've all right, been there. Right. I have never <laughs> like, had to have been talked into having a drink. I'd like to put that on the record. But yeah, it's, it's, it is that like thing where like one of you still wants to keep hanging out and one You're of like, you is like- no, I have like an interview tomorrow at 9 a.m. I gotta get out of here, you know? Yeah, but I never but, pulled a gun on Mackenzie, so that's yeah, the exactly. No, I, I mean, no. I'm not trying to be all holier than that, but <laughs> but I'm Phil Spector. Let's just say we're all better people. I'm not a gun, but you wielded yeah, yeah. one of the jawbones that hangs outside your home. <laughs> that's true. I do. And they're not human jawbones, just to, so, to for the record again. Yeah, the, drawing yeah. a line here. 
<laughs> we're talking about murder, we'd like to preface that. Um, so he's kind of getting upset because he could tell that his friend wants is like gonna leave him soon and he does have this like very brash like I don't want to be Pissy alone fit. like I yeah don't like I don't I don't want you to leave it's, it's getting toward closing Lana comes over and is like you guys you know we're, we're closing up shop soon like you guys need to start wrapping it up and he his friend ends up leaving and he's like trying to talk Lana into having a drink with him and she was on the clock and so she couldn't but he's like, you know what? Come, come to my house. You can have a drink. Come have one drink at my house. So just to keep, so we're keeping score here. Phil Spector at this point is very, very drunk. Lana hasn't been working and hasn't been drinking. So they get to the, so, so she doesn't want to do it at first, but he finally talks her into it. She's like, okay, I'll have one drink with you. I mean, yeah, it's like a, this, this kind of strange guy asks if you want to have a drink at his castle. Once again, I would say bring a buddy. Just bring, bring a body Yeah, guys. bring a special friend to just or, make sure nothing or goes Or never weird. go to a second location with, <laughs> with as, as from the Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. As you Jack Donaghy <laughs> said on 30 Rock, never go with a hippie to a second location. I would add, never go with a music producer to a second location, okay? But see, if we're quoting Jack Donaghy, he was probably in a tux after five because he's not a farmer. So oh that <laughs> imbues you with some trust. So I don't know. <laughs> So he, uh, so she's, she agrees. They get into the car. Um, at this point, we are introducing another character because uh, his chauffeur had been waiting outside for him. Ah, uh, yes. Sees Lana Clarkson get into the car, sees that Phil Spector is quite drunk. They arrive at the house, um, I believe around 3.30-ish. Mm-hmm. They both go inside. And at this point, all we have is, um, again, the chauffeur, uh testimony and he says that um close to i believe five in the morning he hears a very clear gunshot go off mm-hmm. and he starts getting out of the car and he sees uh, according to his testimony he sees phil specter come out of the house with a gun and uh he said that phil said to him uh i i think i just killed someone uh, and this is debated later qualifier amongst, yeah defense. because he's not an english speaker he 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 was an English speaker, but it wasn't his first language, so he could. Yeah, yeah, he was Brazilian, and he himself put this qualifier on it with his first testimony was that I could have misunderstood it. He was not comfortable with his understanding of whatever. But I, I will say, I will add to this that he called. So we do have a nine one one call, oh, and God. when he when he calls nine one one, unfortunately, it's very funny. It is, um, is it really? Yeah. It's really sad because a poor woman died and we will definitely, with all due respect, of course, but yeah, the 911 call is one of the funniest things um, I've ever read. Unfortunately, it's, yes. yes. Uh, Caroline, yeah. would you like to read it? I, I actually do have it. Okay, please right, do. Please, please give us the dramatic performance of okay. the 911 call. All right. But let me preface one more time by saying well, this is with all due respect to the victim. Uh, but yes, also we have to. This is not at her expense. This is more at expense of the, the situation, situation, Phil Spector, and maybe the show for a little bit. I don't know. It's kind of like a comedy of errors. That yeah, kinda, exactly. Something Which was serious, his whole life. Exactly. Like something very serious happens. We're in a very serious mood. And then something hilarious pops up. It's the dark yeah. comedy he always wanted, but couldn't pull off. So, uh, so uh, Adriano, he calls the, uh, the, the police and they, and they go, okay, and your name, sir? He goes, Adriano, okay, and your boss's name? Uh, it's uh, Phil Spector. Uh, I'm sorry, 
Phil Spector. Seal? Spector. <laughs> Seal Inspector? Yeah, Phil Spector. That's his name? Yes. S-E-A-L Seal? No. Spector. Spector. Is he Asian or white? Sorry? Is he male, white, or Asian? Is he an Asian person, a Hispanic person, or a white person? No, it's a white person. And his name is Chill? C-H-I-L? <laughs> no, it's Phil. P-H-I-L. Oh, Phil. Phil. Yeah. Phil Spector? Got it. That's a 911 call. But, <laughs> so, but that was Phil Inspector. I've, it's it just like, me. you can totally see these like- They sell seals. Who are- <laughs> hysteric you know it's 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 obviously the driver's freaking out and just to lead up to that conversation that you just read he uh calls on an operator he says i think my boss killed somebody the operator says and why do you believe he may have killed somebody the chauffeur says because he has a lady on the on the floor and he have a gun in his hand the chauffeur said and so that was and, and that's when the back and forth became came to be where the operator was like, who, okay, who is your boss? And they could do this back and forth thing. Ironically, why was that even like, why was that piece so necessary? If you think somebody's like dying, they're like, but what's the guy's first name? Is it seal? Is it seal? Can you spell, can you spell, just like spell it out for me. Like P as in What Peter? is his race? <laughs> like, Yeah, I, I understand like why that, for, there's a couple of reasons why 911 operators like try to keep you on the line. Right, they're they keeping, want, they probably yeah, dispatched already. They also but still. like, yeah, they've already sent somebody, but they're trying to get all the information that they can on what's going on in case something happens to you, in case you like hang up the phone. They're trying to get as much information as possible. Also um, like, what if it's seal? Or a oh, seal inspector. A seal. A seal. Yes. seal could, or a seal inspector. You, know, you don't, and you don't want seals. a random seal inspector to be put on trial. Um, so the police arrive and they see Phil Spector out um, on his steps. Um, he is still intoxicated. And they look behind them. Uh, they look behind Phil. And behind him, they see Lana Clarkson's body in a chair. I will say this is something that was like very strange to me. Her legs were very straight out in front of her and they were, her feet were pointed facing each other in a way that was like very unnatural. It looked like she had like, I, I, I'm not, it maybe it had been pulled up a little bit or something. The defense explained this with some modeling that I'm not sure made it into the trial, but that they assumed was like uh, she was sitting upright, shot herself, and then slumped down. So you can picture like sliding down in a mm -hmm. chair, how your legs are kind of, yeah. Yeah, stick straight out in front of her. And she has suffered a gunshot wound to the face. Um, it was later found that it shot came from inside the mouth. So, so that means like she had the gun. Uh, the gun was in her mouth. The yeah, gun. The, time. the gun was in her mouth when it was fired, which to me, again, it just adding in. And this is more from an evidentiary. Like, I don't have a dog in this fight, given how many of my musical heroes are definitely bad people. And Phil Spector falls in that category either way. Um, but I do think and this was a piece that was introduced definitely at the first trial there was a lot of medical evidence and potential modeling that was excluded at the second but we'll get into that but the the shooting somebody with the gun inside their mouth is very uncommon for homicide it's mm -hmm. very common for suicide in fact if you want to kill yourself effectively you shoot into your soft palate because otherwise you brain damage yourself and you shoot your face off yeah but the way that you commit I've, suicide is you go soft palate you gun your but, mouth but the one thing i found interesting was the fact that her teeth were broken and they mm. were found scattered around so i was thinking like well maybe did she not put 
I mean, if she were to put the gun all the way in her mouth, would her teeth not have been broken? They said that it might have actually been an accident that she had, you know, in her mouth and then was startled. If you're startled, you try to pull it out. What does your finger on the trigger do? It squeezes it. So that that could have been like a trauma to the mouth. But if imagine you're impaired, you have it in your mouth, you hear a loud noise or somebody comes in the room and you go, yeah, or you're surprised. Like Phil Spector walks in and you go, huh? And your teeth catch. On the, 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 the type of gun that was used was a pistol. It was quite small. And uh, on a pistol at the very front, you have a front scope, which is used for aiming. It's it, when if you think about it, when you're holding up a, a pistol, um, the little um, uh, thing that sticks off the very end of the barrel is the, is the uh, front scope and that's used for aiming. So we can get more into like what the defense argued versus what the prosecution argued later, but the basically um, the, she had it in, in her mouth in a way that uh, the, the front scope could have gotten caught on her teeth. And, yeah, and that and, you're right. That's the piece that they thought maybe in pulling it out that caught and thus the hand keeps moving and pulls mm-hmm. the trigger even depressing the trigger. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, immediately so he's taken into custody. Um he well, he was, got tased a few times though. He, he <laughs> yeah. did because yeah, the, the, he was freaking out like a three-year-old trying to get him away from like a, a ballroom, you know, that like I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Do and we know why or what? Several times. Because I heard about the chasing because there are apparently like chaser wires left on the scene. Um, (laughs) And I heard that it was because he was freaking out in some way. But do we know why or what? I think he was being very belligerent and he wouldn't really give the cops a clear answer on what happened. And in fact, um, and this just goes like whether or not he killed her. God, he's so he was bad such an stuff. asshole. He's so bad um, at being he, a person. They were, they were asking him what happened, and he basically started talking about, like, how rude it was that this woman came over and killed herself <laughs> in his living yep. room. And one of the things he said in an interview later on was there, there, there it used to be back in the old days that the police would have handcuffed her for shooting herself and ruining my night it wouldn't matter if she was dead or not like i don't geez. think that's true that's, <laughs> no. yeah, first that's, of all i don't know for, i don't think you handcuff a corpse works. ever it's really not necessary and you also <laughs> did the thing of do you know who i am and yep, all that yeah. stuff it's like no you know and, and he would say all these lies like i own the house of blues what is the security woman doing here that you know it, yeah. it, none of it made sense it was rambling See, nonsensical he's like stuff from a guy yeah yeah. but i will say that this is definitely something that people say because when my dad died i was at my great uncle's house and i did overhear them say when we found out he was dead they're like oh why does this always happen to us that people's relatives die when they're staying with them and then the other one said well you know he's an atheist he's not going to heaven so I do want to qualify that people say really dumb they bad have things. Weird reactions. To- Apparently, selfish folks have that impulse of like, God, why'd this happen to us? But like, he didn't just say it right after, like when the police were talking to him. He said it in interviews, like subsequent. That what really was like his first instinct was in order to like make the police think that he didn't do it. And you know, it's like he he, he thought that like the human way to respond was to be a gas oh, situation and horrified. He's not that smart not, with social not, stuff. But like, that's, that's what I'm saying is like, I think that he thought the most convincing thing to do <laughs> would be to be like, oh, can you believe this faux pas? This woman committed suicide in my living room. Yeah. Like, whether or not that was his actual 
uh, in his actual response because he didn't kill her or he did kill her and that was what he thought would be the most convincing um, lie about okay. it. That's what happened. So like one Because to me other, it sounds like a legitimate responded. that somebody that selfish and socially unaware probably did have that response. And so I think that like, would be his actual response. And right. That, so he was, whether, whether it was like whether it was genuine an act or, or not. he was faking it and I he see. thought that that's like how he was going to convince the cops he didn't do it. Anyway, this is what I would inside. do. Yeah. The, the cops chase him because they don't know what's going on. They see this dead woman behind Little him. Guys jumping He's acting around. belligerent. He's very intoxicated. They taser him. They go inside. The gun has been wiped down. There are no prints on it, hers or his. It's lying next to her. Um, she's in a chair and the gun is lying next to her. So he definitely did pick it up at some point and then wipe it off. Um, well, they also said that only like eight to 10% of the time are there ever prints on a gun. That apparently, like, the way that you tend to handle it. But if you, you think know. about a, a gun that he owned, unless he was wiping it off every time he used it, it would have had prints on it from either, like, touching the sides or... or you would like, think, yeah. Anything, you but know? that was, I think that was actually a prosecution witness who had said, because it was more about, like, her prints not being found on it and no prints were found on it. Mm -hmm. So they are like, oh, he must have wiped it down. And it was like, well, actually... Uh, it may not have been, but it was clear. Yeah, very yeah. frequently there are no... Yeah, I, I was wondering, like, can you do know when something's been wiped down? You know, that kind of thing. Like They said it was not this, but like that it didn't really prove positive or negative that there were no prints on it. So he gets arrested. Um, he immediately gets a legal team of, I believe his first lawyer was Leslie Abramson, who um, also defended uh, the Menendez brothers and a few other superstar ones. Yeah. yeah. He, the, what, what we will come to find is uh, his proclivity to be difficult. Also uh, translate to how he translates to how he interacts with his lawyers because he has a pretty high turnover. Um, yeah. Leslie Abramson is the first one. And in all of like the interviews where she's trying to like talk to the press and like get, you know, convince them that he didn't do this he he keeps jumping in front of her and interrupting her and she's like begging him not to she's like phil phil stop and he's talking about he he jumps in front of her and he's like uh the hitler da and his stormtrooper um oh, policeman tasered me with fifty thousand volts and they broke my nose and they and they uh, gave me two black eyes there's medical records of this he's like screaming he like gave multiple interviews where he called uh, the district attorney, uh, Hitler. It was really, really weird. See, this um, to me is like, I yeah, it's super irritating. He's definitely not somebody I'd want as a friend or a coworker or anything. But I'm like, first of all, I think it's not out of the question that cops are irrationally, excessively violent rather than any oh, other no one will situation. Argue so I'm like, yeah, yeah, there you go. But then on top of that, I'm like, it seems like he's just a really irritating dude. And I, he just does not have a very, uh, very charming personality. In and any that goes situation. pretty far in getting you. Yeah. So like you know. already you can see, the, first of all, this is uh, pretty soon after the OJ trial. Um, and oh, yeah. Everyone could like sense, oh, this is going to be another huge celebrity trial. And so the press is freaking out. There are people at the, at the, at the courthouse every day screaming, you know, justice for Lana they, no one likes him, and he is He's already a not good villain. helping his case. Yeah, exactly. He is being extremely um, offensive and abrasive and aggressive, and just no one likes this guy. So <laughs> in the yeah. actual courtroom, he also brings on 
uh, Bruce Cutler, who was most well known for defending and getting off John Gotti on several uh, on several occasions. Uh, John Gotti hey, would only go to prison. Not when it counted. Not when it counted. Ca- Where was Bruce Cutler when John Gotti <laughs> did he was doing this? <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, Bruce was this really big, brash New York lawyer, um, had, a, had a very aggressive style, also brought onto his defense team um, was uh, Lisa Kenny uh, Baden. Uh, she was, is, uh, was on the defense teams of both Aaron Hernandez and uh, Casey Anthony. <laughs> so they, these are like really big time very lawyers. Good. These are celebrity yeah. lawyers. These are people who have worked really tough cases where like no one liked their clients, you know, and for and some he has reason, money to spare. I mean, yeah, he's paying them out he through have. the nose for a very good defense team. So this is all leading up to this insane trial um, that is just gets a nationwide attention. Uh, it's a complete circus. And we will be talking about that in the second episode. Um, and Carolina will be coming back on to discuss Woo-hoo! this with us. This was my plan all along is to continue <laughs> this, just to continue hanging out with you guys, really. <laughs> oh, I'm, great I'm, glad, I'm glad it worked. <laughs> we ordered water and you kept us around. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. How dare you not get a drink? Seriously, well, come to my I, castle. I'll I, show have you. I have one. I have one. Yeah, yeah all um, drinks. Uh, the stage is set now for the trial that will come. Actually, there will be multiple trials, spoiler alert, of real life, because the first one was a mistrial and the second one then was a conviction and now he's dead. Um, I, I have. The, I take the same approach to this as I do to like books that came out a hundred years ago. If you don't know yeah. it by now, we can't spoil this for you. I'm sorry. If you don't, as I said to my mom when we were watching the Wiener documentary last night, which comes to me originally from Brooks' recommendation, she's like, "What happens? Um, you were alive. You, were alive. <laughs> you <don't get laughs> should have paying attention, mom. Sorry. Anyway, that documentary uh, is great, by the way. But so yeah, good. So yeah, I can't yeah. it enough. Carolina, where can people find you? Oh, the uh, castle. Uh, Yes, uh, look for my castle. Uh, <laughs> it'll be it'll be right there on top of a hill. Uh, you can find me on uh, you know on all the social medias, Carolina Danger Dog, or just look up No Dogs in Space on Last Podcast Network or Professional Friends, and uh, that's where I, I will be. That's you can hear my voice there too. So thanks, guys. <laughs> They're both wonderful podcasts, but I have a special place in my heart for Professional Friends. It's, it's such a good like uplifting show, and especially in these times, if you feel if you want to just feel like you're hanging out with some friends, go yes. check out Professional Friends. It gets lonely and you can feel like you have people surrounding you. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can find me at Brooke Angeline on Instagram, at BKE Rogers on Twitter. Uh, you can find Kenzie and I on Patreon at patreon.com slash exceedingly persuasive. Kenz, where can they find you? I'm on Instagram at mkzjoybrennan and on Twitter at get me to a nunnery with the number two. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with part two. We're gonna and Carolina will be too. Some more wigs. Yeah. Some yes. More I'm, wigs. Go, I'm oh, gonna wear so my best wig for this. Yeah. Oh. Bye. Bye.